As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by The Athletic senior writer, Chris Vanini. Uh, another reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Andy and Ari always have something cooking. I am sure there will be plenty of uh, fun and a lot of interesting conversation to be had throughout the offseason. Uh, before we get into today's show, though, I-, I just wanted to send our prayers and support to the University of Georgia community after tragedy struck this weekend. Offensive lineman Devin Willock and recruiting staffer Chandler LaCroix were killed in a single car crash early Sunday, just hours after the team was celebrating the national championship, the victory parade and celebration in Athens. According to statement from the UGA Athletic Association, Chris and I would like to send our condolences to Devin and Chandler's families and everyone who knew and loved them. Just absolutely uh, tragic situation. And again, we'll we'll keep you all in our prayers. Um, but we will dive into today's episode of Power Hour, where we'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. So, Chris, uh, let's dive in with the Power Five. In true Power Hour fashion, we will give ourselves about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college sports before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next. I will let you take it away. Number one, uh, you and I just got home uh, from the NCAA convention, which uh, happened this week in San Antonio, directly right off of the College Football National Championship game. These things are usually split apart by a week or so, but but... Um, not this year, and ultimately, you know, it, it, it was a good spot to just f- figure out, like, what are people in college sports talking about? What are the biggest issues? And the most, the things we heard about the most and people wanted to talk about the most were, of course, Charlie Baker, the new incoming NCAA president who uh, met with uh, various people in the sport, gave a short speech, uh, kind of set the table for his uh, tenure, of course, the Big Ten a commissioner opening, and also the uh, transformation committee, which had been going on for about a year. Uh, those recommendations were approved uh, by the board of directors. We'll get into those later. But uh, yeah, just it, it's a place to see a lot of athletic directors, presidents, SWAs, deputy commissioners, and stuff like that. Uh, Nicole, what was, how, how was your week in, in San Antonio? Yeah, it, it was it was good. It was productive. I, I think the the biggest takeaway for me was you know getting to spend some time around the new NCAA president Charlie Baker. He just finished up his second term as the governor of Massachusetts. Um, we were fortunate; both got a, a little time with him, and also Baylor president Linda Livingstone, who is the chair of the board of governors. She is basically on every leadership group throughout the NCAA and led the search for Charlie Baker. Um, I thought he came across as incredibly engaging, interested in listening, someone who understands that college sports is facing a lot of existential threats, uh, which is the word that everyone else in the NCAA likes to use for these things. And I think we got more of a clear sense of what they are going to be asking for 
in terms of politics and political involvement. I wrote about this. You can read it on The Athletic. It's that they're asking Congress for some protections. They're asking Congress to essentially say student athletes are student athletes in college and they can't be employees. And if they have that protection, which is not, you know, some some broad protection, they're asking for narrow help on this, um, you know, not just like total antitrust, uh, you know, exemption, but they feel that if they can have this narrow carve out, that they can create rules around NIL, around other areas of compensation. So to me, that was the biggest takeaway, Chris, was just specifically what they were looking for from Congress and that Linda Livingstone felt that it was possible to get something done uh, in in this this term. So that seemed pretty optimistic, depending on who you talk to at the bar. Other people were not as optimistic. Yes. But it was interesting to have all of that kind of laid out and to to meet Charlie Baker, who is a big sports fan. He is an athletic subscriber. So if he's listening to this yes. pod, hello, Charlie. It was great to spend some time with you. Um, but he's still learning. And it was interesting to watch kind of like some of his initial opinions start to form. And as they continue to develop, we'll continue to cover it. But Chris, that was my main takeaway was, you know, the political involvement and specifically what the NCAA thinks it needs to survive. Yeah, people are not uh, upset to see Mark Emmert go. I think that's the next that was also another that yes. was also another takeaway. They they were respectful. Uh, you know, he got a I think a standing ovation in the convention center he did. hall when uh, he did when he spoke. But when you talk to people outside, when you talk to people elsewhere in the hallways, uh, they are not sad to see him go, and they are generally optimistic that Charlie Baker will be a lot more communicative and um, have a clear direction. Will that direction work out? We don't know. Number two, the Big Ten commissioner job is open officially. This has been something that has been out there for a couple of weeks, but Kevin Warren officially accepted and was announced as the new president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. He will start later this spring. He was on the job for three years. Um, It was something that was a big topic at the convention Big topic, I think, on both of our, uh, you know, phones ringing off the hook, a lot of text messages about this. It's a very interesting time for this job to open and just unprecedented because the commissioners who had been in this type of position, the predecessors, the Jim Delaney's, the Mike Slives, the John Swaffords, these were all people who had had these jobs for decades. And, you know, you go outside of college sports and you bring in Kevin Warren you bring in George Klyovkov and you bring in your Brett Yormark, it interjects a totally different dynamic into those conferences, what they're trying to do. But what it may end up also doing is changing the way these jobs work and how long tenures are. And I think a lot of people always felt that Kevin Warren would go back to the NFL. Well, that day has come. He was not extended at the Big Ten. His initial contract was a five-year deal. I think a lot of people thought that there might be around him thought that there might be an extension after the media rights deals were negotiated and USC and UCLA were added over the summer. Didn't happen. Uh, so here we are where one of the most powerful jobs in college sports is open and we are, you know, coming out of a media rights negotiation. The big 10 is locked in through 2030. The big 10 is integrating and incorporating two new members on the West Coast for the summer of 2024. But otherwise, it's in a relatively, I think, stable, um, obviously financially secure spot. And whoever takes over this job will immediately be one of the two most important and influential people in college sports. So fascinating dynamic there uh, with someone who I think is much more comfortable in the NFL than he ever was in college sports. Be very interesting to see if the Big Ten opts to stay in college sports this time or continue with someone working in business outside of college sports. There's just so many different questions. We will get into it a little bit later in the show, but that job is officially open. Be interested to see which search firm the Big Ten hires, et cetera, et cetera. So many unknowns right now, except for the fact that Kevin Warren is out. 
Look, there had been five previous Big Ten commissioners in the, like, 100-year history of the league. And of those five, all of them were in office for at least a decade. Two of them died in office. You're basically a Supreme Court justice at this point. Jim Delaney did it for 31 years. And, you know, we just talked about Charlie Baker, but this is arguably maybe one of the more powerful jobs in college sports. I think Big Ten SEC commissioner I don't, can really I don't be the, think that's arguable. They have yeah, actual power. See, so, yeah. 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 So this is huge. Um, and yeah, we'll get into where the Big Ten could go, what it means, what Kevin Warren's legacy is in a minute. But I just decided when this news happened, I looked up the Big Ten's history and I was like, oh, there have not been a lot of these people in this job. And some people died on the job. So Kevin Warren in and out after three years, uh, and he certainly left a legacy. Number three, Dabo Sweeney has fired offense coordinator Brandon Streeter and hired Garrett Riley from TCU. Streeter had spent the last eight years on the staff uh, as quarterback's coach, uh, spent this past year as the offensive coordinator. Riley, as you probably know, won the Broyles Award in his first year at TCU, followed Sonny Dykes over from uh, from SMU. So big hire, big hire for Clemson. And I think it tells you just how big of a deal this is at a place like Clemson when Garrett Riley and his family are brought out onto the basketball court at, uh, during a basketball game. That does not happen <laughs> no. for an offensive coordinator at many spots. But, uh, you know, that was when he takes a big swing here. Well, again, we'll talk about this one in a minute too. But, yeah, one of the biggest pieces of news uh, over the past week. Yeah, we will uh, get into this. And just to change things up, Clemson is not in the On the Rock segment. They're in the happy hour because yeah. Dabo made a change. So we will get into that in, in just a minute. But that's seismic, and, and it says a lot about Dabo and, and the program that he is building. Number four, other coaching news of note, Ohio State has promoted Brian Hartline to offensive coordinator this continues one of the more impressive rises in college football coaching. Chris, you and I had Brian Hartline on our 40 under 40 as one of the most uh, influential and interesting rising stars in college sports for a reason when we did this last year, but he only began coaching in 2017, uh, became the wide receivers coach at Ohio state in 2018 and continues to just churn out five star talents, five-star commits, and then future NFL talents at Ohio State. They have become an, an incredible pipeline for the best wide receivers in the country. He has been one of the best recruiters in the country. And Chris, this is going to prompt the big question, which is, is Ryan Day going to give up play calling with the Ohio State offense? Yeah, Kirk Herbstreit brought this up, I think, the day of the championship yes. game uh, on college game day, which was... Uh, Kind of surprising to hear because I don't think that's really the problem. I don't think that's a, you know when it comes to the performances against uh, Michigan and whatnot. I you know I don't know if that's exactly the, the the issue. They obviously had a really good strong game against Georgia, but if you've ever watched Ohio State and thought, man, how do they have so many good wide receivers? That is because of Brian Hartline, mm -hmm. who has done a very good job bringing them to campus and then developing them developing them into. Uh, talented as well. Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be drafted this year. Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, is one of the best wide receivers in the country. So uh, big move there for a, again, relatively inexperienced coach, but one uh, who will now learn on the job. And the players love him. We've we've talked to yes. them, talked to Ryan Day about him. And the, the track record certainly helps get the next five-star guys, but you see the development Ohio State also still claims Jameson Williams a little bit, right? So you got kind of those mm -hmm. two back-to-back -back, uh, draftees last year with Garrett Wilson. So, yeah, th that's all him. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes. And again, you know, what what changes offensively for Ohio State? And, and this move was created, of course, by Kevin Wilson going to become the Tulsa head coach. Number five, uh, the, the Division I Board of Directors at the NCAA Convention approved the Transformation Committee's recommendations, all of them, a process that took almost a year. Uh, there was some question going into the meeting whether or not they were actually going to pass this stuff, but they did. So what does this mean? No, the NCAA tournament is not expanding yet. I know this is a football podcast, but that's something a lot of people have feelings on. Uh, but issues like that, issues like 
what you know what are the requirements to be an FBS these are things that will now be determined by sports specific committees so the basketball oversight committee is now going to figure out hey do we want to expand the tournament or not to 90 teams or whatever the football oversight committee will say hey you know what what do we want to require to be an FBS program right now that includes a 15,000 attendance you know once every two years which is a rule that isn't needed nobody really follows it people fudge the numbers when they need to it's, it's, it's kind of meaningless uh, so they could come up with some new requirements for that uh, and also I, I think importantly that kind of gets overlooked but they approved some some more um, medical assistance for players including post-graduation uh, long-term type of stuff which is always good to see so wanted to shout that out as well so uh, a, a big vote that ultimately didn't lead to any direct changes but Nicole this was something a lot of people in the NCAA had been talking about for a very long time yes uh, we've covered it extensively and I, I do think for for those listening who who do follow all this stuff in the weeds you know you, you kind of know that the sports specific governance is going to be impactful I mean individual leaders of each sport will be able to actually uh, make changes. They're going to be rulemaking. They're going to have decision-making power and they'll be able to do things. And and so I think like this will be one of those things in two years. We'll know the impact of this because things will happen differently. Things will happen quicker. Um, but it's, you know, maybe not as overwhelming or doesn't sound super transformational, uh, which, you know, was the name given to this committee not something that they picked. Um, <laughs> So yeah, there is a lot to follow, certainly um, as we follow, you know, kind of baseball, basketball, some of the postseason, the championship question and, and whether or not there will be changes to the way that those brackets are uh, are selected and, and the size of the bracket. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Let's get into the happy hour. This is part of the show where we talk about something we are genuinely happy about or excited about or intrigued by. And I think all of those categories would apply to the first topic we want to talk about. We mentioned this, but Dabo Swinney fired an assistant coach, which is a rarity, Brandon Streeter, and he brought in Garrett Riley. So last year after the first down year for Clemson and a lot of questions about their offense and, and about DJ Uangalele and everything else, Dabo did not make changes um, he promoted from within when Tony Elliott left. He promoted from within when Brett Venables left and he didn't overhaul anything drastically. He faced a lot of questions all season long. And especially at the end of the year, when we saw what Kate Klubnick was capable of was about that offense and about how it worked, how it ran, um, and how it could be effective. It was marginally better. DJ was actually pretty good early into middle of the season before he got pulled and et cetera, et cetera. We all know what, where this ended with the transfer portal and DJ going to Oregon State. But the question I have for you, Chris, is uh, just what it means for Dabo to make a change like this and to bring in one of the hottest names in coaching in Garrett Riley, like stepping up to the plate of, hey, we have dropped off. We need to do something to change. And it feels like Dabo may have gotten with the times. Like he is ready to embrace where college football is today by making these two moves, the firing and the hiring. This is a big boy move. There, there's no doubt about it. But it's one that you have to make if you're at Clemson's level. Uh you know, he added a lot of again. He added a lot of coaches last year, but they were almost all promoted from within. Guys who were analysts, guys who were this and that. Um, I, th I think one guy might have been from the outside, but he he tried to stay in the family. And while that led to another ACC championship, it also included a blowout loss to Notre Dame, missing out on the playoff, uh, getting blown out in the Orange Bowl in a wreck in a 
one of the uh, ugliest kind of performances you, you'd seen in a while. And it was clear that Clemson has fallen off. They're not at that national title level anymore two years in a row. And so this is a step. Now, it's, it's, it's not everything he needs to be doing. He's still tentative with the portal. Uh, he's basically uh, tentatively, well, he, he's just opposed to it. Yeah, I mean they've got a couple of guys, but but not they, many. Not, not still, still not and, doing a lot. You know, again, it relies on God's name, image, and likeness instead of actual. Yes, name nil was yes. the other yeah. thing. Yes, they're, they're but still, they do that. You know, Clemson players do 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 nil deals. Yes, yes. So so there, it is a step forward here. Clearly, the only way Clemson is still a very good program. It just won the ACC. But if you want to be at that Alabama Georgia level where you think you are supposed to be now, because you have won two national championships. You got to make big boy moves, and this was a big boy move. Garrett Riley did a very, very good job uh, in his first year at TCU. It's really been a quick rise for him uh, as well. He, I mean, he was the offense coordinator at SMU two years ago, and that I think was his first. I think he spent one year at SMU. I think came from I want to say East Carolina. I don't remember. And, and so, like, I, I've sat in a meeting with Garrett Riley um, when he was at SMU. I did an embed with the SMU coaching staff for the Cincinnati game, and uh, I, I just being in that meeting, I can tell you that Garrett Riley puts a lot of trust in his quarterbacks. Um, it's, it's really you know, leaning on them to make decisions, tell him what they're seeing and stuff like that, all you know, kinds of hand signals and, and communication and stuff like that you get in that spot. So uh, Cade Klubnik has a new quarterbacks coach who's got a pretty good track record who just developed the Heisman runner-up in Max Duggan. So uh, exciting times for Clemson. Yeah, and and again, it just it really signals what Dabo realizes he needs to do, and and the change. We've been saying that this was going to be one of the more interesting, I would say probably number one most interesting programs this off season about how it's handled, what changes, what is done, and uh, this was a big big move. So that is absolutely a happy topic for the happy hour. Here's another one, and I know, Chris, you wanted to talk about this, and just some early thoughts. It's January, it's mid-January, although it's not too early, by the way, for a Heisman campaign. Florida State has launched one for Jordan Travis, so we can already think about this season, and I know, Chris, you wanted to talk about who you think could be next season's TCU, and so that's a really quick one-year turnaround, a team that was very much middling, 5-7 and seven last year, uh, and obviously it all goes well and they go undefeated in the regular season. They go all the way to the college football playoffs. So Chris, uh, early thoughts on potential surprise teams. Yeah, there's a few candidates here. I figured now that the season's falling in the rear view, we can start to take a look at ahead at who might be a surprise. And look, this doesn't mean go to the national championship game. TCU's run of the championship game was basically unprecedented in the history of the playoffs. So I'm not saying playoff team here, but the teams who could make a big jump after a, an average to below average, 2022. And I start with the Wisconsin Badgers, who hired Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, a big time hire there. Hired Phil Longo as the offensive coordinator. Uh, really going to change what we've seen from Wisconsin. And most notably to me, they've added three transfer quarterbacks. Three. That is that is surprising. That does not happen in this time of day. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, who played for Garrett Riley at SMU transferred, uh, was going to go to the NFL, said late in the season he was going to the NFL. Instead, last minute, he's instead transferring to Wisconsin. So the Badgers are going to look, the Wisconsin we see next year is going to be unlike anything we've seen in decades or maybe ever. And they went seven and six this year. I think they could be in store for a big jump. I think that's a really good one. And I think it's probably pretty evidenced by the amount of transfers they're getting right now. I mean, you mentioned the quarterbacks, but like they are attracting talent and that influx of talent that we saw at USC. We saw at some places last year, uh, which is one of the ways to turn things around, especially to implement a new scheme. So I think that they make a lot of sense as, as a potential, you know, who could be this year's TCU. Um, another one could be now hear me out. Oklahoma. Now they under delivered. This year, it was uncomfortable at times for Brent Venables in year one, but they just signed a great recruiting class. They are filling holes defensively, which they need. And Dylan Gabriel's coming back. And I know you're high on Dylan Gabriel. 
So, Chris, is is this a team that you see could take a big stride? And, by the way, if they take that stride, they are back to where Oklahoma fans expect Oklahoma to be. Yeah, it's not exactly been a uh, a long down period for the Oklahoma Sooners. It was just largely just this first season under uh, Brent Fennel was going 6-7, and seven, losing the cheese at bowl. I mean, they won 11 games the year prior. You know, they, they'd been a top 10 team for the previous, what, seven or eight years in a row. So... Very quick dip, but a dip that we had not seen at Oklahoma since the 90s, you know, since like the mid-90s. It had been a long time since we'd seen Oklahoma dip like that. And yeah, Brent Venables did not do a good job in his first year. And, you know, Stuart Mandel predicted they were going to have a bad season, and they did. But I do think the moves that you've seen from Oklahoma since the season has ended uh, have addressed the holes. And that's exactly what you want to see from Brent Venables going into year two. All right. Any other early candidates that you want to hit on? I'm, I'm curious about Auburn, which obviously hired Hugh Freeze and you know, whatever you think about him, he's got a pretty good track record of winning and he won pretty quickly at Liberty when he took over there. They've got a pretty real solid recruiting uh, transfer class coming in. Uh, but quarterback, I think, is still a big question. If you don't figure out the quarterback, then it ain't going to happen. But if they can figure that out, um, I'm, I think Auburn gets a bounce back year as well. Okay, lots of time this offseason to continue to to dive into candidates for, for surprise seasons and um, also Dark Horse playoff contenders so much. We'll, we'll get into that throughout the offseason here on Power Hour. Uh, but right now, it's time to flip a switch and go on the rocks. It is time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in this sport. There always is, and we are here to help work through it. Let's start with the question, and this isn't really negative, but the question is, what does the Big Ten do now? When you think about friction, you think about uncertainty, you think about all the different directions someone could go, that's really where the Big Ten is right now. So Kevin Warren is out after three years. He's off to the Chicago Bears. He's back to the NFL uh, you know, I I personally, you know, believe that this is someone who maybe won't ever have a chance to succeed Roger Goodell as the NFL commissioner, but I think would love to be in position to be considered to do that. And I think he probably has gotten some advice that says you need to have one of these types of roles, be in the mix in the NFL, and he goes and gets to stay home in Chicago. His daughter lives here. He enjoys it here gets to help the Chicago Bears with their new stadium. They have the number one pick. It's an interesting time to join the Bears organization. Uh, but he goes to be president and CEO, leaving the Big Ten in a little bit of the lurch. Now, he has only been the commissioner for three years. It's been an eventful three years. Lowest of lows. Bit. Lowest of lows. Canceling the yeah. season, which some people have never will never get over, right? Never. There are some, some people who will never forgive him for that, and fans, and even administrators who will never forgive him for doing that, even though they re- eventually restarted it. It was all very ugly and very messy. You had players and coaches in the league uh, calling him out, calling out the league's decision to do that. They restart the season. Ohio State makes the playoff, et cetera, et cetera. There were people who probably were never, ever going to get on his side from there. I think he spent a lot of time trying to repair relationships. He goes the highest of highs, right? Adding USC, UCLA, almost in the cover of darkness. Nobody knew until it breaks basically as it's done. Big 10 goes from the Pacific to the Atlantic. Big 10 then signs a record-setting media rights deal. The league will bring in over a billion dollars per year on average and is setting itself up to be a little mini NFL with the three major over-the-air networks on Saturdays in different time slots. So, Chris, there's so many different angles we can take here. So, do you want to talk Kevin Warren legacy? you want to talk where the Big Ten goes from here? Take it away. You know, it was interesting talking to people across college sports in San Antonio this week and, and how they felt about him. And he rocked the boat a lot. That upset a lot of people, whether it was the season, whether the canceling season, whether that was expansion, reshaping what we think is possible in terms of a major football conference. And some people don't won't like a lot of that. Like you said, some people will never forgive him for canceling the season. I personally 
hate adding USC and UCLA to the conference and what that does to the Pac-12, what that does to the Rose Bowl, what that does to uh, basically everybody. And I say that as we're both Big Ten grads. Um, and so that always just bothered me. But but I understood it. And there were a number of people who I talked to who said he rocked the boat in the way in a way that it needed to be done. And that the way he handled that media negotiation to break things up in a way that was a lot like the NFL kind of reshapes how everybody can approach their media deals moving forward. And as much as so a lot of us don't want to get to a power two, I understand that that is a model that college sports may have to go to to kind of survive in the way it is a little bit in terms of the way players are going to make money potentially more in the future, whatever that looks like. So he had a vision. He just won't be there to execute that long-term vision. And whether or not that continues now, I don't know. We don't know. Obviously, he liked expansion, but expanding further into other schools for you know more Western schools was not something as many people in the conference were behind. So what does that next person do? We're not sure, but he definitely leaves a major legacy of change in the Big Ten, some of which was needed. Yeah, and it, it's also interesting because people also point out, you know, I- even if you disagree with, you know, the, the way that it all went down or the way he made decisions or prioritizing relationships with presidents and chancellors over athletic directors and coaches, whatever it is, right? He still got the Big Ten in those schools a lot of money. And that is paramount as you think about the uncertainty in the future of college sports. You know, the Big Ten and the SEC, as much as it's possible, are going to shape the direction for themselves because they are so financially secure and because, you know, in a world of the haves and the have-nots, they're always going to be the haves and that, that that's going to, that there's going to be clear stratification and separation in the coming years. So for whatever you want to say about Kevin Warren, he's still got his schools paid and that positions them really well, no matter what comes. And I think it, it creates an interesting dynamic because the media deal is done and you have seven years until the next deal. So that's what five, five and a half years until you need to negotiate again, yes. which means, you know, we we've seen a lot of these, jobs turnover in advance of media rights deals so that that person could negotiate it and then see it out. So because you don't have that, I think you have two options if you're the Big Ten and you're the Big Ten presidents, which by the way, there's 12 new ones since Kevin Warren started. Massive turnover at that level. And that's the level that will decide who the next commissioner is. Um, But you have, you have one, you have, the opportunity here, I think, to make a short-term hire if you wanted to, someone to just kind of bridge the gap, stabilize things. You know, if you're someone, maybe you're like a Gene Smith, you're very happy where you've been. You love being on campus. Maybe you don't want to work indefinitely. There's so much change. These jobs are so hard. There's so much travel, so much uncertainty, lawsuits, a million things happening right now, NLRB. So do do you look at someone who may want to be a short-term candidate and prioritize the integration of USC, UCLA, uh, onboard them, essentially, which is going to be really hard, by the way. There's so many schedules and logistical challenges. But someone who can prioritize that, handle that, and we'll just kind of bridge this gap here. Or do you want to hire someone that you want to be in position to negotiate that next deal? So that's thinking a 10-year commitment, essentially, in my mind, even though it's really like seven. Uh, so to me, it's like short term or longer term. I think you go, you you wonder, do they go back inside college sports? Do they go back outside of college sports? You know, last time going around, we all know Jim Phillips was a candidate uh, and a finalist. And he had a lot of people, a lot of athletic directors in the league thought he was going to be the next commissioner. U- ultimate inside college sports guy, spent his whole career in it. And they go outside. Then we saw back 12 go outside. Big 12 go outside of college sports. So that is going to be another question. To me, I think of hires like, you know, when you hire a a defensive-minded guy, it doesn't work out, so then you go offensive, and you just kind of, you know, the pendulum swings. 
So I wonder, and I personally would go inside college sports because I think some of the issues and the friction points with Kevin Warren were about the lack of pre-existing relationships um, in the communication lines because you didn't have, you know, decades of experience with people. And I think what you need if you're the Big Ten, someone who knows the landscape, doesn't need months to get caught up on NIL, uh, you know, the Johnson case, the house case, all of the other issues that are happening to college sports, someone who just has an understanding and innate feel for relationships, knows people at all levels and can both communicate and and work together with their other commissioners, but also when need be throw their weight around in that room and be a leader vocally and by example. So I think to me, that's if, if that's what you're looking for and that's what I think the big 10 should look for, I think you want someone who has experience in college sports. So that's just my two cents on that, Chris. I don't, it's so early. We don't know exactly which direction they're going to go here, but that's what I would do. Look, I mean, the last three power five hires, uh, Kevin Warren uh, with the Big Ten, George Kalevkoff with the Pac-12, Brett Yormark with the Big 12, all of them had media deals coming up. Like that was a big part of the job. They needed to shake it up. The biggest challenges facing the next Big Ten commissioner are uh, player employment, whatever that looks like, uh, lawsuits, uh, court cases, all these different things that are are going to be the nitty-gritty details of what the future of college sports is going to look like. You don't need to come in and make a – you're not going to come in and sign some deal to make a bunch of money. That's already been done. So like you said, it feels like going to someone inside college sports – Maybe the move, it would be the, the opposite of that. Now, does going someone inside college sports actually change the dynamic the way you want to? We don't know. This could go any which way. As we said, this is the may, probably the number one or two most powerful jobs in college sports. A lot of people are going are gonna to want this job. It's just not going to be as splashy as the situation Kevin Warren took over. Uh, and so that that's ultimately what it... Um, what it comes down to, but this is huge. This is going to be huge news for the coming weeks and, and months until a new one is hired. The last two points I want to make on this front are, you know, the Jim Phillips question is, is fascinating. He was someone everyone in college sports thought was going to get the job the last time he goes, gets hired by the ACC. Is that someone a, the big 10 would consider again? Is it something that he would do? It's really interesting because of where the ACC is positioned compared to the Big Ten. I mean, it would just be absolutely unprecedented for a Power Five commissioner to leave one job for another and would reinforce some of that stratification we've talked about, about where the SEC and the Big Ten are and then where the other leagues in the Power Five are. So that is a really interesting question. Also, is Jim Phillips, is he prepared to, would he be prepared to lead the Big Ten into the future? I think a lot about some of the comments he's made over the years about the collegiate model. And Jim is an old school guy and he is going to defend it and and a lot of the kind of the core principles to it. But you're seeing a lot of people come into college sports from the outside more willing to engage with some of the employment issues or at least talk about them, the hypotheticals, talk about um, you know what happens if there is revenue sharing or, you know, athletes are employees, et cetera, et cetera. Kevin Warren did that. But I I just think that that is such a potential reality that we're facing here in the short term that you need whoever is in this leadership position to understand that and be prepared to lead on it. And we've written about this. We've talked about it. I don't know how proactive people are going to ultimately be able to be in these spaces it may be something that is just decided by the courts. However, I I do think that would be one of my questions about going with someone inside of college sports is, you know, can they be proactive on those issues or are they tethered to kind of the way it's always been? Because there is a divide when you talk to people in college sports with those two groups of people. So I, I, I think that would be a question I would have, you know, for Jim and about kind of, you know, forward looking in the future of all of this. And I think the other question, you know, or other point I wanted to make, Chris, before we get off this topic is I don't know that people are going to be in these roles for 
10, 15, 20 years, 25 years, whatever, like they were in the past. These are hard Mm -hmm. jobs. And I think especially when you're hiring people from the outside, essentially businessmen to make business deals, to find new revenue streams, to negotiate media rights deals. Um, it's very possible that they may go on to the next thing. Like, I don't think that Kevin Warren is going to be an aberration. I, I think the 10 years for these jobs are going to be shorter. Completely agree. We're, we're not going to have people going 31 years, uh, hopefully not dying in office <laughs> again as some others did. So, yeah, so I agree. The jobs entail so much more than they used to. And when that happens, you get people that change jobs a lot quicker. So, uh, that is that for the Big Ten. We will follow that and react to that more week to week. Uh, last for on the rocks here, the Florida Gators and star maybe quarterback Jaden Rashada. He has not enrolled at the University of Florida yet. Our colleague Alan Taylor had a great breakdown of this apparent $13 million NIL deal with Gator Collective that was later canceled. Uh, if you followed recruiting, Rashada signed with still signed with Florida on the early signing day, but it kind of came in late. It was a bit shaky. There's rumors that he has or hasn't filed for his release uh, from his, from his NLI. His his father said he hasn't yet. Uh, but this is a pretty messy situation. He's a four star, five star quarterback, depending on where you're you're looking at. But uh, Nicole, I had followed this kind of from afar. And then I read Alan's story and I was like, man, I feel like this is something we may see a lot more of in the future. It's something you and I have talked about since NIL started. It really actually when collectives popped up Yes, was the idea that you're not going to be able to spend these, these donors and boosters are not going to be able to spend tens of million dollars every year. And that also there were going to be athletes that get screwed or that people back out of deals on because they don't have the money. And, you know, you look at the the numbers and the headlines on this one, it's a, it's a big number, but this is something that I think is happening elsewhere. It's just not either. It hasn't bubbled up and been publicly reported on, but it's something that in, in other sports, other athletes, other parts of the country, it absolutely needs to be brought to light because, you know, you, you think about, there, there's so many different people in, in co- the cottage industry that's popped up around NIL. There's a lot of people who could take advantage of the players at the center of these deals. And, you know, one of the things is to a make sure that it is a good deal and it, um, you know, you're, you're not signing away your likeness forever and et cetera, et cetera, right? Like the, the actual contracts that are involved, but also you should have the other party hold up their end of the bargain. And that's the piece that we've talked about offline. And I'm, I'm very curious to to see what happens here. And, you know, if some of these decisions, some of these very high profile cases, you know, with some of the players, once they get to a school, if they don't want the starting job, what happens to some of these arrangements as well? Like we're still very early in this NIL era, where we'll see some of this stuff for the first time. So this is absolutely going to be something to track because, you know, it's maybe we're not talking about $13 million, but this type of situation reneging on, on deals, you know, how secure can a deal be before someone gets to campus? Because technically that's a recruiting inducement, right? Like if they're enrolled and at school, that's, better with these collectives and the athletes in terms of the actual following the rules. There's just so many different wrinkles and and wormholes you could go down with this. But um, yeah, Alan's piece recommended on the athletic, breaking it all down, breaking down all the key players and all the timelines involved in this. But Chris, I I do to answer your question. Ultimately, I do think this is something we are going to see more. And if you're wondering why a, not guarantee, not for sure five-star quarterback is getting $13 million. Uh, he was one of the last big-time quarterbacks in the recruiting pool, basically. So it kind of began, became, as was phrased to me, an accidental bidding war. Uh, well, which, and he, he, he may not be getting $13 million. That's yes, well, and that's the other thing, is, is that the, we, when, on, when NIL happened, when collectives happened, it was going to take a few years for us to find out what was legit and what was not. It was going to take a while for kids to understand who was trustworthy, who was not. This is kind of the game you're playing with so many third parties involved in it. 
when schools don't want to be the ones involved in it themselves. So you're going to have kids who have signed deals and don't get what they're supposed to be owed. And they don't have, you know, big expensive lawyers to kind of recoup what they were you know, supposed to get. You know, many of them won't have. So it's a, it's a very tricky, difficult situation. Uh, you hear rumors all the time of, oh, this, this collective is actually not paying out what it says it's supposed to. But these things aren't out there publicly. And the NCAA has wanted to make basically a clearinghouse to make these things public to try to prevent that, to try to maybe make things a little bit safer, have things more public and transparent. The flip side is that'll probably result in kids, some kids making less money than they would otherwise. So that's, you know, that's one of the things Ed Sebley mentioned as wanting to, to get. We don't know if it's going to happen, but really messy situation in Florida, really bad look for kind of Billy Napier and Florida's NIL efforts that you can be sure other kids will be hearing about. And yeah, this is definitely not going to be the first one of these situations. No, it's not. And we'll, con- we'll continue to track that as well this offseason. Uh, before we wrap up, it is always time for the last call. Cheers or jeers. This is the part of the show where whatever we might be doing as the bar is closing, if we want to celebrate one more thing one last time, if we want to get one last rant off our chest, this is the time to do it. So, Chris, I will let you go first. What is your last call? Speaking of quarterbacks getting paid, Mine is mine is a cheers to the old man college quarterbacks and the the rich college quarterbacks. We are in such a weird time for college football right now. Because of NIL, because of COVID waivers, you've got several college quarterbacks who are older than several NFL playoff starting quarterbacks. Daniel Jones for the Giants. He's in his fourth NFL season. He is younger than Stetson Bennett. <laughs> he is 25 years old. Stetson Bennett is 26. So you, you've, got, you've got these old man college quarterbacks who have been around for quite a while uh, that we are not going to have, you know, after another year or two, we will kind of be through that. And I actually think we may see a bit of a regression at the quarterback position. Something we didn't really talk about enough in college football the last couple of years is just how old some of these players are. And that just, Generally, will make will make you better. Uh, the other part is, at least three starting quarterbacks are making less than a million dollars a year. That is Brock Purdy with the Niners, who is who is undefeated. Skylar Thompson with the Dolphins, who lost on Sunday. Uh, Tyler Huntley. At the time of this recording, we don't quite yet know if he's starting or what the result of that game is. But they're all making less than a million dollars. Nick Saban said Bryce Young was making more than seven figures before he even took a snap. Uh, at Alabama. So you've got this really weird situation where, and I think we may have talked about it a couple weeks ago, but like quarterbacks who aren't going to go in the top few rounds may be better off staying in college just to, to get a bigger paycheck. Like, like that is legitimately on the table. There's rumors about CJ Stroud and the decision he may or may not make, uh, may not be, may come back, may not, may be, may be NIL. We don't know yet. But I just, watching the NFL playoffs this weekend, I was like, this is so weird that we've got college quarterbacks who are making more money than these NFL quarterbacks, these playoff NFL quarterbacks, and we've got college quarterbacks older than these NFL quarterbacks. Just an extremely weird time, and I just wanted to cheers that because it's been fun comparing Stetson Bennett's age to everybody I can find in the NFL. Stetson Bennett is old. Twitter is probably the best of college football Twitter. It's not an insult, by the way. It's not an insult, and it's just very wholesome, wholesome age jokes. So I I do appreciate that. My last call, spinning off of your last call, is for those quarterbacks, for Brock Purdy. I don't think any of us who covered college football the last few years could have seen what is happening with the 49ers. Now, first of all, 49ers have a bunch of our favorite players from recent years, by the way, like Debo Samuel, Christian Caffrey. Like we love watching these guys and it is awesome to see them basically play positionless football sometimes, but super cool to see this for Brock Purdy who flashed at Iowa state, but would have Brocktober where he was awesome, but would you know, lose an inexplicable game in September or lose towards the end of the season, whatever it was, but he would make mistakes. He would throw interceptions. He would come back down to earth after Brocktober. So it is super cool to see him 
having success, winning in the playoffs or in the first round of the playoffs, um, and having a real chance here in, in the NFL, Mr. Irrelevant, who I guess we are all calling Mr. Relevant now because he is extremely relevant in the NFL. So shout out to him. Um, shout out to Trevor Lawrence. I was crushed for him with the four picks in the first half in his wild card game and the mental fortitude to turn that around and come all the way back and win that game on Saturday night was incredible and just really happy for Trevor Lawrence who had the perfect meme to post after this game. It was that screenshot of the, I'm not going to lie. We, you know, they had us in the first half. It was just perfect Twitter usage uh, from Trevor Lawrence, but just really happy to see him have that success as well. And then we're recording this during the Giants game. So I, we don't know the outcome of this game, but Daniel Jones to date, I don't want to be wrong about this. If he has some disastrous play at the end of the game, but played really well uh, in this game also ran the ball really well. So it's just, you know, like I kind of feel like when we when the, our favorite college players like go off to the NFL, I, I just I'm like, oh, like it's our children. They're just they're, they're just going off. And so I want them all to have success. And it's really cool to see them do that. And um, that's what I love about, you know, when you watch oh, Daniel Jones, quarterback sneak, your favorite thing, Chris, as we're it's recording undefeated. this live, it's undefeated. Um it's Trevor had a great one, by the way, as well. Or he just, by, the way, stuck out his arm. by the way, Trevor Lawrence QB sneak. Remember a year ago yes. when Urban Meyer said they can't sneak with Trevor Lawrence because he doesn't know how to do it. Yep. I, imagine, imagine do you, do you, teaching your quarterback how to do a QB sneak. What a concept. Also, literally, he's Trevor's so smart, but literally just reach out. You got it. You know, like it doesn't matter. You just got to get over the line. So long. He's yes. The wingspan is there anyway. Regardless, I just am always excited when players that we covered very closely in college and we've seen their highs and lows in the college game get to have these moments. We are not the world's most diehard NFL people because we are watching so much college football. So when we tune in for the NFL playoffs, it's great to see um, our former children having success. So cheers to all of them, especially the quarterbacks uh, who made for an eventful weekend. Uh, but that will do it for this week's Power Hour. Again, we will be here with you throughout the offseason, so you can't get rid of us yet. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.